Hello Internet, my name's Jonathan Cook. And I'm Matt Noble. And this week on Screen Verdict, we've got a television review. Yes. Boardwalk Empire. Yes, it's uh, a show, a TV show. A show that I've been looking forward to reviewing for some time. And I got a special treat for us for this podcast. Wow, I love the, the yeah, special treat. Yeah, a surprise. I'll just go get it, because it's not actually in this room. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you just... A genuine treat. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I've got it. Oh, as well as hit the door. Okay. I've got it. I've got some beer for the podcast. <laughs> How does that? I saw the brown paper bag. Yeah. I was like, oh, Matt's hiding something illegal here. Yeah, some beer. Can you drink uh, or are you driving? <laughs> so Matt's going to have two beers. <laughs> oh, no. oh, the no. podcast. Yeah. Okay. So, Boardwalk Empire, a show about prohibition. Yeah. Matt, too, all about sticking it to the man. Yeah. About to uh, consume some alcohol on air. Yeah. You don't mind drinking on the podcast, do you? I think I would prefer drinking on the podcast to eating. Okay, good. And just to uh, all our listeners, we encourage responsible drinking. So, Boardwalk Empire, it's had three seasons. Hmm. The first half of the podcast is going to be spoiler-free. Yes. So we're just going to be talking about the show in general, yeah. what it's roughly about, whether we like it. A few of the actors and people behind the cameras and things that are involved. And we'll let you know whether we think you should get on board, mm. on the boardwalk. Yeah. And then in the second half, we're going to go into depth on season three. Give that yes. a, a thorough review, mm. the latest season that just finished this week. Yeah. Yes. But we'll give you a warning before we get into that spoiler territory. As we always do. So Boardwalk Empire is a show set in Atlantic City yes. on the boardwalk mm. in the 1920s during the Prohibition era. Yes. And it revolves around the character of Nucky Thompson, mm. played by Steve Buscemi. Yes. And he is a gangster in a way. He, I think he has an official government role as a treasurer, mm-hmm. but really he's doing a lot of wheeling and dealing behind the scene. Uh, he's a big bootlegger, and he deals with all the gangsters in trying to, with trying to organise importing alcohol to Atlantic City. Yes, that's where the big bucks are. Maybe, maybe we could start like a screen verdict line of alcohol. Wow. Well, we've got one beer who, which you're not drinking. So <laughs> people want that. And... <laughs> it's up for sale. People can buy the screen verdict beer, famous for being featured on the Boardwalk Empire podcast. It's um. Italian? German. German. Belgian. Oh, Belgian. Okay. It's from Europe. Third time to German. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um... We're experts. We'll do well in the alcohol yeah, field. Yeah, we'll do very well. <laughs> um, now, Boardwalk Empire is on the channel HBO. Mm. A channel famous for its drama shows. Yes, very much so. Had the show The Sopranos. Yeah, big one. Huge hit. Arguably, and this isn't the opinion I would have, but arguably the greatest TV show of all time. Some people would make that case. Yes. I think it was seen as being one of the first shows to bring a real depth and cinematic quality to television. It kind of, I guess for a while, TV was seen as a bit of a lesser medium than cinema. Hmm. And that was one of the shows that kind of helped bring TV up to being regarded in the same sort of status. Mm. 
And Boardwalk Empire is a little bit similar to The Sopranos. People have referred to it as The Sopranos in the 1920s. Yeah. And not only is there story similarities, but some people that worked on The Sopranos work on Boardwalk Empire as well. Yeah, well, it's the HBO show. They've got a few of the crew have uh, hobbled on over from Sopranos to Boardwalk Empire. But um, I believe the creator, Terence Winter, was one of the uh, Sopranos writers, uh, which is sort of quite interesting because uh, you've got Mad Men. That show was created by Matthew Weiner, who was also a writer on The Sopranos. You see all these Sopranos writers writing their own new shows, and they used to be going to the Emmys as one team, and now they're having to compete against each other for these top Emmys. Are they happy for the continued success of other Sopranos writers, or are they fierce rivals, Matt? They go, my show's better than your show. My episodes on The Sopranos were always much better than your episodes. I'll prove <laughs> it to you by doing a better show. Yeah, um, I'm sure they're happy for each other's success. Let, let's take that. We don't want a cynical view of these people. I'm, I'm sure if you asked them, that's what they would say. They go, oh, no, I'm very happy. I'm sure Matthew Weiner is fine with Terrence Winter having a show. I'm sure Terrence Winter might resent Matthew Weiner's four Emmy wins for, <laughs> for Best, Best Drama, Drama series. series. Yes. Two over his own show. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yes. Um, let me just, uh, let me check uh, Terrence Winter and see if he won any Emmys when he was on The Sopranos to see if he's got a bit of a, a haul. So, yeah, um, Matthew Weiner's done very well with Mad Men winning uh, heaps of Emmys. I think about two for writing and four for drama series, um, really showing up Terrence Winter. Uh, but Terrence Winter showed up Matthew Weiner back in the day in, uh, when they were on the Sopranos team together because th- when he was writing Sopranos, Terrence Winter won more Emmys for writing Sopranos episodes. So, yeah, the chip on uh, Matt Weiner's shoulders uh, seems to have propelled him yeah. to success. <laughs> that, this, is cl- this is clearly what is motivating Matthew Weiner and Terence Winter, <laughs> a deep-seated hatred based on jealousy for one another. <laughs> like, this is why they're writing such good shows, <laughs> because they just want to be better than the other one. So Boardwalk Empire, I said it revolves around Nucky Thompson, hmm. played by Steve Buscemi, yep. who himself was uh, nominated for an Emmy for The Sopranos. This is like trying to talk about uh, Argo and Damages characters just constantly yeah, coming up. Yeah, this is, yeah. uh, just ended up being a Damages review. This is going to be a, a Sopranos podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and he has sort of a, a crew that he works with in Atlantic City, but there are crews around uh, the country as well. Mm. So I guess I like this dynamic. You've got sort of a series of gangsters each with their own territory and they kind of battle for territory and try to do deals with each other and include or not include the other people. And like I said in our Emmys podcast, it kind of resembled Game of Thrones a Mm. little bit in terms Mm. of you've got the different factions kind of warring against each other. Mm. And not only this, but some of the characters are based on real-life personalities. Yes. So that adds a bit of another interesting element. You have someone like Al Capone Mm. who... In the show, he's just kind of like a, a low-level gangster, and I think over the course of the series, you're going to see him work up to become the Al Capone. Yes. So those of you who are interested in history, not only do you have this historical setting, but you've got some of the real characters, uh, real politicians, real gangsters being referred to uh, in the show. It's interesting. I was talking with um, the actor who plays Richard Harrow in the show for the Emmys this year, and it was very interesting talking to him because I was sort of going, oh, it's a bit of a, you don't know whether your character's going to die or not, Borg Empire, a show with quite a high body count. 
Um, so do you get just relieved when you look at the scripts and find out that you haven't died? And he's like, oh, yeah, I do. Like, he's, <laughs> he's British. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, no, that is a relief. Because um, he, he thought, his theory was that this show is so unpredictable and so crazy that he wouldn't put it past Terence Winter to kill off Al Capone or some of the historical <laughs> figures. <laughs> he said he wasn't even sure about that. So according to him, it's all all in play. Anything could happen on the boardwalk. <laughs> well, let's talk about some of those characters. I guess with Nucky's crew, you have his brother Eli, mm-hmm. who's the sheriff of the city. He's just like a bit more of a hothead to me than, than um, Nucky. Yeah, Nucky likes everything sort of ticking over, keeping everything in place, whereas Eli likes to crack a few heads. Mm. And maybe, like, there's a bit of, like, because Nucky's the top dog, maybe a little bit of little bit of jealousy, maybe, a little bit of, like, he's been living his life in his brother's sh- shadow sort of thing. And there's the Commodore, who is aging now, but is... I guess Nucky's almost sort of like confidant. Like every now and again, you'll go sort of have this meeting with him and get some uh, elderly wisdom from him. Yeah. And then you have some of the younger guys. Uh, Jimmy mm-hmm. is a big character in the show. Uh, James Dormady, who is not related to Nucky, but he uh, Nucky's kind of been an uncle to him. Mm. He's kind of uh, helped raise him, bring him up into this business now that Jimmy's got come back from fighting in World War One. Against the Germans. Yeah. And Jimmy sort of has to adjust to the world. Yeah. Now that he's come back from this war. And he does it by, I guess, becoming like a, a soldier for Nucky in a way. Yeah. Is it fair to say this guy is also a little bit of a loose cannon? Like a little unpredictable? Not because he is hot-headed. Because no. he's quite intelligent. I think it's just that he's a bit emotionally unstable because yes. of his family background and his the traumas he had to go through during the war. Yeah. I feel like through watching this show, especially in the early days, you don't have a whole or a huge amount of confidence in the people Nucky surrounded himself with. <laughs> You're, like, seeing a lot of people as potential problems. Like, this brother, he's going to do something stupid and stuff something up. Um, this Jimmy, he's going to get ahead of himself and do something that blows... The, the operation, like, you're very worried for Nucky watching these show, this show with these individuals that he surrounded himself with. Yeah. Well, someone that I think is quite reliable is Richard Harrow. Who, yes. Who Jimmy meets, uh, I think, at the hospital, uh, has a mask over half of his face because he lost, suffered a pretty horrific uh, injury in the war, and he has this, this mask covering his face. And he... Uh, is a little bit scary to look at, but he seems like a very kind and warm and calm person, but everyone kind of distanced themselves from him, mm. sort of viewed as a bit of a freak. So in a way, you kind of feel sorry for him, but you also have to fear him because he's a badass. He is a he is a scary dude. He is the most, like, efficient killer in the show. He's He can snipe you from 400 yards. He'll blast you in the face with a shotgun. He and he's only got one eye. Gets the job done. Yeah. So there's a sniper game. You close one eye you when you use one shoot. Eye. Yeah. <laughs> good thing he didn't lose his good eye. His sniper eye. But yeah, I think he's a, a fascinating character. And, I'm, and he's very uh, loyal to, to Jimmy in that as well. Yeah. 
No, he's not someone I was worried about stuffing things up. (laughs) He seems like a pretty calm guy. He gets the job done. I think, do you think there's the problem with the gang and the mafias? It's very family-based. Like, you sort of get your brother to join the the family business, like, or whatever. (laughs) Uh, do, Do you feel like that means you just, your family ends up being the people you're working with as opposed to who's best for the job? Yeah, that's an interesting situation. In a way, you think... Well, if you can trust anyone, it'll be your family. It's your blood. Mm. But, yeah, your family is not necessarily the most talented, the most reliable, mm. uh, the most qualified people for mm. these willings and dealings. So, yeah, fa- yeah, family business, very interesting. Would you open up a bootlegging operation with your family? <laughs> I don't think so. I think <laughs> I'm sure our family could survive a bootlegging business. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I think I, I would get uh, my mates, who I think um, I could trust. I, th- I think trust is the most important thing. I think just like a game of Survivor, or just like a Game of Thrones, trust is the most important thing in your bootlegging business. Would you say Boardwalk Empire has an ensemble cast? It's quite a big cast, and all of them yes. are quite equally important. I mean... Nucky is the lead Yeah, character. I think Nucky's the lead. But I think beyond Nucky, there's quite a few important characters. I, I think it's an ensemble show with a clear lead. So we'll try and get through a lot of the important characters. We'll try not to forget anyone. Uh, someone else in Nucky's crew is Oliver Tate from Ireland. He's another sort of reliable type. He can do everything. He can drive you. He can organize meetings. He can plan yeah. killings. He's, yeah. uh, he's all around pretty useful guy. This is probably one of the people that is good to have on your team. Mm. Uh, he's not in Nucky's family. <laughs> he's got someone who's good for the job. So that's some of the people that Nucky surrounds himself with. Some of the other groups we have, uh, one of them is led by Chalky White, who played Omar in The Wire. Ah, oh, favourite of yours. Yeah. He's sort of the head of the black community mm. uh, in in the show. Um, he's got a, quite a lot of men at his disposal and has kind of good relations with Nucky, but they're not exactly in the same camp. I think you see a good amount of mutual respect for Nucky and, and Chalky in the show. And, like, I think this is not a time when the African-American community maybe were heaps respected by everyone. Uh, and and I, I don't know. I feel like Chalky understands that Nucky isn't a particularly racist or prejudiced person. I think something interesting about the show is a lot of these groups are business partners and there's mm. that mutual respect there, but there's all, all the relationships are a little bit tenuous. Yeah. There's always the feeling that, well, we are gangsters and if you screw me over in this deal, like we will kill you. Yeah. Uh, some of the groups more so, uh, with each other than others. Mm. Another one of the groups is, uh, in Chicago with, uh, Johnny Torrio mm-hmm. as sort of the head boss and underneath him, he has Al Capone. Okay. And he's another one of the sort of young hotheads. Yeah. He's always smacking people around in bars, starting fights. Mm. Very slick with the women. A lot of (laughs) of sassy talk there. But I guess he also has like a family side. You see him with his son who's deaf and he seems like quite a good father to him. So he's a pretty interesting character. And someone I've always wondered how they're going to bring him up to become the character of Al Capone. Yeah, because I don't think this is going to become a show about Al Capone. So they'll always keep him somewhat supporting. 
but yeah, his role will probably increase. Then in New York, we have Arnold Rothstein. Is he the guy with the bow tie? Yeah, he's a pretty sharp dresser. I uh, like this guy. <laughs> I think this guy's good. Arnold's always one step ahead in the game. Mm. He loves gambling, but he never gambles on anything that isn't fixed. And it's yeah. usually him that's fixed it. Yeah. Like, there was a great scene over Paul this season where he talks about how sometimes not making a move is the good move. Waiting for things to settle down before making the deal. And, like, that taught me he's a smart guy who sometimes will take a step back to get ahead. Yes, he seems very smart and he seems very calm and perhaps less imposing than some of the other gangsters. But there's a scene, I think it's in season one, where he tells a story about this man who would swallow snooker balls uh, as like a trick. And so he bet him that he couldn't swallow the cue ball knowing that the cue ball is something like an eighth of an inch thicker. And so the man uh, attempted to do it and choked to death. He says to the people telling the story, if I'm willing to watch a man choke to death for my own amusement, what do you think you're gonna, I'm going to do if you cross me? Whoa. And all of a sudden he's like, whoa! He's, he whoa. seems calm, but he is a scary man. Do you reckon that was a made-up story to, <laughs> to make people scared of him? If it is, it's a good story. Yeah. He's a, maybe he should be writing... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Competing against Terrence Winter and Matt Weiner at the Emmys. Yeah. What, um, it'd be funny. And this is great because he said it in 1920, right? Yeah. Which is perfect. Like, today, if that was a lie, you wouldn't be able to get away with it. Because, <laughs> like, you go that. And then you'll have, you'll, because you always have one genius who, who's hanging out at the party where he's telling the story or the meeting. You know, nah, just checked on my iPhone. <laughs> The, the cue ball's actually one-eighth of an inch smaller than the other balls. <laughs> you bowtie guy, you um, <laughs> need to check your facts, buddy. I don't think I'd be referring to Arnold Rothstein as bowtie guy. <laughs> you don't think it'd like that? Some I, repercussions I rocked up with my uh, family bootlegging business <laughs> <laughs> a, a meeting with All him. All right, like, bowtie guy. I got a proposition for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Mr. Bowtie. <laughs> and then people that work under him, but then also seem to go off and do their own thing, hmm. are uh, Lucky Luciano and Maya. Yeah. And they're part of the, the young guys that are coming that seems to be sort of a theme of the show you have a period of change i guess going on where you have these more established people with their ways of doing things and then there are the young hungry ambitious people coming up that sort of want to take over they're learning from and they respect the older guys but they also want to do their own thing so Mm. there's that sort of interesting conflict there Mm. then i guess outside of the gangster world well we have a few other characters in the show um, Margaret is quite a important show. She's probably the female lead. Yeah. I remember in the first episode, Margaret goes up to... She goes to meet with Nucky. She's a bit concerned about this whole alcohol thing, and she's wanting his help. She thinks she's part of the Women's Temperance League. Yes. So she's like, Oh, Mr. Uh, Mr. <laughs> I can't. Was that <laughs> Asian? <laughs> Ah, Mr. Thompson, Mr. Thompson. <laughs> He's Irish, as far as Irish. Oh, potatoes. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, she, she asks him um, some support, and he's uh, pretty generous to her, pretty nice to her. 
but I guess she, as the season goes on, finds out a bit more about the real Mr. Thompson and the real Nucky Thompson and that he might not have the cleanest hands in Atlantic City. Yeah, she seems like a simple immigrant from Ireland just trying to get about a business and do her part as a good Christian. Yeah, in the, the community, you would look after the children in the community and her own children and things. And she sort of gradually gets brought in and involved with these uh, dealings that might be outside of uh, what she would expect. Do we feel like she deals with this news like when she sort of, I guess, finds out Danaki Thompson isn't the best person in the world? Uh, a bit better than maybe Skylar White does in Breaking <laughs> Bad. <laughs> she finds out about Walter's uh, dealings. <laughs> yeah, I think... Margaret has perhaps a better understanding of how the world works than it might first seem. And she's quite confident and holds her own in discussions with both gangsters and politicians, which is quite surprising to them, especially not only from an immigrant, but just a woman in Mm. in that period of time to have that confidence to match them on an intellectual level is, uh, was quite a statement. Mm. Then I guess we also follow the law. And the main pro he that we follow is Agent Van Alden, mm. who is also very religious. He's incre- He's the most religious person on the show, you would say, right? Yes, he is uh, constantly reading and quoting from the Bible. He is very strict. He even does some things where he's whipping himself. Mm. Very. Don't remember that in the Bible, but on the, the disciplinary aspects of uh... yeah, again, he's making that stuff up, <laughs> but um. Yeah, they're very weird, those scenes where he's whipping himself. Mm. It's like he's in a one-man stage show of uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I think he's quite an interesting character because his beliefs are just so strong. He, he believes so strongly in this way of doing things. And sort of everyone is against him. Like, you have all these bad guys trying to sell alcohol, but even everyday people want alcohol and aren't really concerned with mm. the fact that this is against the law mm. and just go about doing other daily things which are, which I guess offend his moral sensibilities. And it'll be quite draining to go into work every day to try and accomplish something that everyone else just doesn't care about. Yeah, this is the interesting thing about Prohibition you see in the show. It's just such a everyday part of life for everyone, uh, pretty much. And look, I'm sure there were plenty of people during Prohibition who didn't drink. This was a law. There must have been some people who supported this law. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a law. But generally, there just seems to be so much apathy to this law. And some of the other cops as well. They're all just crooked and taking bribes and things. Yeah. So I guess there's most of the main players in the show. It's Mm. quite a large cast with quite a lot of different themes about the family and religion and the law and Mm. I guess the life of these people in this time. Do do you have an MVP in the cast of Boardwalk Empire? That's a good question. I think Nucky, as the lead, does a great job carrying the show. I love Steve Buscemi. I think Nucky Thompson's quite an iconic character, and I put him up there with the the Walter Whites and Tony Sopranos of similar shows. In terms of the supporting characters, I think uh, I really like Jimmy. I really like Richard. I think Richard, just visually, that half mask face is very captivating. It's a very original sort of look, and I really like him 
as a character as well. If I had to pick one, maybe Richard Harrow. Okay. So you see, is that of supporting or including Nucky? It's hard to compare because of the difference in screen time. Just make it cool, man. Like, <laughs> If we were trying to add one to the greatest drama characters list we did, I'd probably go with Nucky. Okay. I know, Richard looked pretty good next to President Logan from uh, <laughs> 24. Uh, actually, for me, it'd probably be between Nucky and Richard Harrow as well for the MVP. I feel like I like more of what I see of Richard Harrow. Like, Nucky, sometimes I'm not enjoying as much, but that's I see a lot more of Nucky. So it's sort of, like, a bit hard to judge. <laughs> um, I might defer this one. <laughs> Just pick a side, man. Okay, uh... Yeah, I guess I'll have to go with Nucky too, but yeah. So something else worth mentioning about the show was that the first episode, I think it was a double episode, was directed by Martin Scorsese. Whoa. That's a serious deal. He's a big name. One of the most famous living directors and Oscar winner. So to have him on board as an executive producer would be a pretty big deal. To have him actually direct... Hmm the pilot himself, hmm. was, I think, perhaps unheard of, or unparalleled, I guess, in the television universe. I guess someone of his name. Yes. Bro, oh, oh, wait. He hasn't won an Oscar, but Tarantino did direct an episode of CSI. <laughs> Don't forget Tarantino's CSI episode. <laughs> that was great. It would be hard for me to forget something I haven't seen. <laughs> And I guess it worked out because he won the Emmy for uh, Best Directing that year. Yeah, I, I feel like this was interesting. Um, I feel like going into the Emmys, everyone saw it. It's Martin Scorsese. It's a HBO pilot. He's winning it. <laughs> and he did. And I feel like some people may have thought that, well, he won it on name, not on direction. You know, like I think even if you argued that Borlock Empire was the best of the five episodes nominated... Like, someone could have said, yeah, but it probably could have been half as good and he still would have won. <laughs> Which is a fair argument, I guess. It is Martin Scorsese. It is a HBO pilot. But vindicated maybe a bit this year, Borok Empire was nominated for directing again, not by Martin Scorsese, uh, by Tim Van Patten, I believe. Yes. And no one's really predicting that to win Best Directing this year because, oh, they just won last year because, uh, they just won last year because Martin Scorsese directed it. Like, they, this year you're going to give it to, like, uh, Downton Abbey, which the Emmys seem to love, or maybe Homeland, which which is, is a contender, or Breaking Bad because everyone loves that direction. But no, Boardwalk Empire won again. So maybe the directors just love the style of that show. Um, maybe uh, Martin Scorsese won it because that was the best directed episode last year. I think quite a nice win for Boardwalk Empire to come back and repeat. Yeah, I think it does have a a really distinct style to it, a great visual style that I don't think the other directors are just copying from Scorsese, but I think hmm. he helped establish yes. all the show. Yes, as I think it looks great, and I think it's one of those shows that gives time to shots hmm. it's not something has to happen like every 10 seconds to keep your interest it'll hmm. let shots run on let actors sort of play out the scene with their uh, facial expressions and dialogue over a over an amount of time which i guess some people would therefore call the show slow because of <laughs> but i think they shoot it that way to get the best out of each story moment and each character and for me 
I think it works really well. Yeah, I think it's a good style. I think it's directed really well. Uh, great shots, all that stuff. It is a little slow though. <laughs> I, like I find, and there are there are storylines that seem very detached from the main story, and uh, it just all completely wrapped in. Like, so I'll get back to that stuff with that other character. Stop hanging around here. Yeah, I find it a little uneven as a show. I think Boardwalk Empire shows a great attention to detail, especially in things like the costumes and makeup. The period is so believable. Oh, yes. It's so rich. Oh, yes. It's very good. With the settings and so many extras and cast members, I mean, it's completely authentic. And how cool is the Boardwalk set? Yeah. Don't you love that outside Boardwalk set? I think if you were to go to my Facebook page and check out my cover photo. I saw that yesterday, yeah. It's the Boardwalk from Boardwalk Empire. Mm. And I think they do the same with the story. I think each season sort of builds and it can be a little bit slow, but I think it's always moving, just always developing just that little extra layer until by the end of the season, you just have such a, a complex relationship between all the characters that when something goes down, it just has that much more weight to it. Yeah, I feel like it's interesting. Season one, before it came out, I think had huge expectations on its shoulders. Scorsese's directing the pilot. It's done by uh, Terrence Winter of Sopranos fame. It's uh, starring Steve Buscemi. It's a HBO drama. Uh, it, it's got a surprise, like it's it's even like the Sopranos in the 1920s sort of type plot sort of thing. I think people are expecting this to be the greatest drama on TV. And then it came out and people didn't think it was the greatest drama. <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, it's good, but I'm, I'm not loving it. I'm not wrapped. I'm not engrossed. And I feel like um, even if you don't think it's the best drama on TV, it suffered even more than it otherwise would have because of the expectations that were on it. I think if there were no expectations for the show, people would go, this is one of the best dramas on TV. But instead it was like, this isn't the best drama on TV. Um, so I feel like season one was a bit behind the eight ball in terms of buzz and talk about it. And I feel like season two, people thought was better. And it improved and it got more exciting, more rich, and, and people really liked season two. And um, season three, I haven't really, it only just finished it, I haven't been reading responses online or something. So I don't know. Jonathan, what's your view as a big fan of the show? Did season three improve on season two? Did season three... So are we giving our verdict? Let's yeah, let's give our opinion. Opinions. Why not? Why not? Well, when I started, I thought it was a little slow. It took me a few episodes to get into. But then I really started to enjoy season one. And then I think it built to a pretty good ending that I was that I was happy with. And I'd... I'd give season one a solid nine out of ten. I, I really enjoyed it. I did think it wasn't was was one of the best shows on TV. Not that cool. Then season two just took the show to a whole new level. I thought every episode was really exciting. It was constantly building, and then the finale, one of my favorite episodes of television I've ever seen. I yeah. think it was absolutely fantastic. I was blown away by what they did in the season two finale, and I would give season two a ten out of ten. Well, one of my favourite seasons of television. Mm. Then season three was going to be a hard task to, to follow up season two. And I think they got sidetracked a little with some things that weren't as interesting as others. But it did what Boardwalk Empire did well. And again, it built and built. And 
I was so excited to watch the last few episodes. I hated having to wait a whole week for another episode, and all my favorite characters came through in ways that were unexpected, and I was really happy with it, and I'd give season three a 9.5 out of 10. Whoa. Boy. My my verdict is, I saw all of Bordock Empire season one, and I didn't love it. I'm not going to lie. It's a bit like a, a show sort of in some ways like how I found Six Feet Under. Like, I think from a technical standpoint, hard to fault. Um, I think all the actors doing a good job. I, I, I Like, it's not like technically I had a problem with Bordock Empire. It just didn't grab me. It didn't speak to me. It didn't get me excited. I wasn't waiting for that episode every second week. I think for that first season, it got nominated for Best Drama Series at the Emmys. It was probably my least favorite show of all of the ones nominated. That being said, I was glad it got nominated. It's a really good show. I thought it was a, a good mix of, of six shows nominated that year. Um, season two, I'll be honest, I haven't seen a whole lot of. I only saw part of season two. It seemed like it had gotten better. And uh, now seeing all of season three, I think season three I enjoyed more than season one. I thought some of the stuff that they were setting the board up within season one and season two we got some really satisfying directions. I thought there's some really exciting bits. I thought there were some really interesting relationships and power struggles and politics going on. But there were some storylines that seemed out of place and seemed a bit slow and things. And it still didn't grab me in the way a Game of Thrones grabbed me, where I'm just so invested in all the different characters and all the different power relationships and things. I'm still a little bit behind the eight ball. I'll give Boardwalk Empire Season 3 a 7.5 out of 10. It's a good score, Jonathan. It's a good... It's an unfair score for the best show on television. <laughs> uh, you're saying it didn't grab you. You weren't invested. I was so invested. I've nearly cried watching Boardwalk Empire. Whoa. So, yes, I obviously recommend it. That's my verdict. You have to watch this show. Unless perhaps you're a little bit sensitive to some violence, violence and sexual sex scenes. And things, yeah. But it's must-watch TV, in my opinion. And for me, it was worth seeing, but there might be other shows that are worth seeing a bit more. Maybe don't have it at the top of your list of shows to check out. So now we're going to go on to our Season 3 in-depth spoiler discussion. Okay, so spoiler, spoiler alert! alert. <laughs> Spoiler's coming. Spoiler City, here we are. Is that where you're going to set up your bootlegging operation? <laughs> spoiler City. <laughs> Let's start with a spoiler from the end of season two. Jimmy dies. Boardwalk Empire. You kill off Jimmy. Probably the second most important character in the show. I found his haircut annoying. I didn't really mind it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't kill people based on haircuts. They did on 24. Look, Terry died in a season one. He had the worst haircut on the show. Like... <laughs> I'm you really you. don't like the short hair. <laughs> <laughs> she deserved it. I don't say she deserved it, but it's like if someone doesn't have a great haircut in a show, like maybe think, oh, they could be getting killed at some point. Like maybe that's maybe that's the red flag for a character when they get a bad haircut. <laughs> so the tagline for season three was, "You can't be half a gangster," and this is the moment where Naki sort Although, of. Although maybe maybe Richard Harrow can. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, just a joke. If it was an unlikable character, I would have laughed. But yeah, <laughs> yes. So this is the point at which Nucky sort of—that's just cracking open the second beer. 
Well, spoil. I need a spoiler beer, maybe. Flips over from that person who's just doing dealings with gangsters to being a gangster himself. Because Jimmy and the crew with the his, his dad, the Commodore, and Nucky's brother, Eli, sort of tried to rise up against Nucky. And even though he didn't want Nucky dead, there was a plot to kill Nucky. So mm. when Nucky regains his place, he has to take out Jimmy. And Jimmy knows this is coming. He turns up to... To the meeting without a gun to protect himself. Yes. And I thought this was going to end badly, but just the anger that Nucky showed. He's like, look, I am not to be best with. You betrayed me. I'm not going to get anyone else to kill you. I'm going to be the one to do it. Well, this is like the worst, like, bottle of day. Like, damn, I just got some beer. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I don't get in the crash and the cop pulls me over and asks me why I smell beer. Say you're doing a podcast with a mate on Boardwalk Empire and, like, he had a bad bottle opener and, it, like, some beer came out when he took the top off. So, yeah, where does season three go? What's the focus of season three? Because you had the uprising of this sort of new crew involving Jimmy, but then he gets taken out. So the emphasis is still on Nucky. What's Nucky going to do in season three? Mm. And I guess the first thing he has to do is the introduction of Jip Rossetti. Rosetti. Is that a good Rosetti impression? <laughs> sort of. So we get introduced uh, to Jip. His car's broken down on the side of the road, and someone pulls over to help and says they should get some kind of oil. What does he call it? I can't remember. I don't know. It's like WD-40 kind of stuff. And Jip says, what's that? And he's like, oil, what else? And the fact that he said, what else, infuriated him to the point where he beats him to death. And takes his dog. Yeah. So instantly we know that this Rossetti is not a kind man, not a stable man. A hothead. Yes. Uh, but he has quite a lot of pull behind him because he's got a lot of guys working for him. And he has the backing of Joe Masserea, a huge boss, hmm. uh, I think, from New York. Yes. I'd be interested to get your take on this. He's pretty much the villain of the season, Rossetti, right? Yeah. And we see a lot of shows going with the villain of the season route. We see damages every season. There's a new adversary for Patty Hughes. Uh, Dexter, every season there's a new serial killer. Do you like this for Bulldog Empire, bringing in a villain of the season? A villain that I was pretty sure about three episodes in. He's dying in the last episode of the season. <laughs> he is this season's villain for Boardwalk Empire. Like, did, did you like this? I think I did. I think he was quite a charismatic character. Mm. I think he was quite unique. He was quite strange mm. and quite, I guess, evil in a way. And it was interesting to see that he wasn't really that intelligent. Like, he'd make jokes uh, and constantly get defensive and angry about mm. things that people would say at his expense. So he was a different kind of villain or adversary. Mm. I think if you're just going to bring him in, you know he dies at the end of the season. That's perhaps a bit predictable, and Boardwalk Empire doesn't really rely on being predictable. He does die in the final episode of the season, you called it. I think the way things progressed, there was enough sort of suspense, or there was enough there for you to wonder what was going to happen to Nucky. Like, how is Nucky going to deal with this situation? Because it looks like everything's against him. His back's against the wall. Yeah, I think it worked really well. I thought he's a very charismatic villain, very uh, engaging, got Nucky in a really tight spot that he had to get out of. 
Do you think maybe, like, though, it wouldn't be good if they brought in one of these every season, like a villain every season for Naki to fight, or do you reckon this is a good formula for them to go with? I would say it worked well, but I hope they don't try to recreate it too similarly. I would hope it's not doesn't become the formula for Battle okay. Empire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Do we want to talk a bit about Rosetti's uh, sex life? It was uh, quite interesting. Yeah, at first when there was the scene with him with the, the belt around his neck, I thought, what's the point of this? Are they just sort of doing this to be a bit edgy, just one of those things we will talk about just for there to be something different on the TV. But then when it sort of came back with Gillian and there was those interactions there, I think it kind of said something about him as a character. Hmm. So I think it was just shocking and weird, but I think it also worked in the show. Yeah, so so generally he gets... This is his move. This is the move to impress Rossetti for all the ladies out there. <laughs> he takes off his belt... You get the belt, you wrap it round, you tighten it round his neck, and then you just choke him. That's the Rosetti, that's what floats his boat. If you attempt this, always have a spotter. You uh, do want someone to be on the lookout, just in case this goes wrong. It seems like a dangerous activity to be uh, engaging in. Yes, it very much is. Um, Have a safe word. Although I'm not sure you can say that while you're getting choked, like maybe a hand signal uh, or something could be the move. It is very weird. In one of, one of the definitely scenes of the season, someone tries to kill Rosetti while he's having sex in this manner. Uh, they shoot him, I think, right? They get him a little I think, shoulder. I think he shields himself with the with woman. The woman. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just comes running out, like, completely naked. You see Bobby Cannavale's uh, penis flapping all over the screen. <laughs> it's very, uh, very intense. Um, with the belt still around his neck. Yeah, this is very... Um, yeah, maybe he just read Fifty Shades of Grey, wanted to give some of that stuff a go. I'm not sure. Like, yeah, it was just very... He got an advanced printing. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Came out 90 years before the proper release. Ah, I got into this stuff before Fifty Shades of Grey came out. <laughs> Such Jamaican. What? <laughs> I got into this stuff before Fifty Shades of Grey came out. <laughs> Oh, no, it turned into Jamaican up. <laughs> Everybody's got a gun. Like, that was my favourite yeah. Rosetti line all season. <laughs> Poor move to use the girls, the shield. Speaking of girls, Margaret, she survived to season three. Yeah. She spends a lot of time in the hospital. She and Naki aren't really speaking much anymore. She's sort of on her own in the hospital doing things. Because at the end of season two, Nucky had all this land that he'd been able to get because of his bootlegging dealings, and he gave it to Margaret so she could hold on to it while Mm. all the legal proceedings came after him. Mm. And then when he dealt with that, he could get the land back and he could build his superhighway and it'll be really profitable for Atlantic City. But she takes that and donates it to the church. Hmm... (laughs) Kind of screws, like, Nucky over by an amount in the millions. Yeah. 
what had Naki done to her before that to to deserve this sort of power play? As far as I can remember, he didn't do anything to her specifically. I think it was just this lifestyle, him being a gangster, just gradually took a toll on her. Okay. She knew he was a gangster before she married him. Yeah, right? that's why so I don't think she yeah, has like the moral. Is, yeah, it's like she knew that he had her husband killed. She knows that he is the head of this criminal organization. So this is either the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, or he's not. And this is where we can defend Skylar White a little. <laughs> she married a science teacher, and he he became a drug dealer. Like, she did not sign up for being married to a drug dealer. <laughs> Margaret signed up for being married to a bootlegger and gangster. And again, giving up the moral high ground, I think she was the first person to sleep with someone else. Yeah, so she slept with the, uh, the, the guy, Oliver... Oliver. The other guy from Ireland, obviously had stories about Ireland to talk about, I don't know. <laughs> and then we see Nucky. There was that scene where they start biting on the potato from either side <laughs> and they eat the potato till their lips kiss in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So you like potatoes. <laughs> so bad. Why are there so many foreign accents in this, in this movie? Oh, in this TV show. Potatoes. <laughs> I don't know, anyway. So, yeah, they, they have stopped talking about Ireland. So, who's that you? Naki, uh, this season, uh, takes up a dalliance with an actress. And there's a pretty good scene in season three where Margaret goes into the dress shop to give some flyers for the hospital to the dress lady. And the dress lady's like, We're closed, get out of the dress shop. And she's like, Oh, no, let's have a chat. And then, like, Naki walks out with a dress for this other girl. It's very awkward. He does not deal with this very well. <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, hey, you're here. <laughs> she goes, oh, I thought you were out of town. He's going, no, I'm in town. And then, so you think, but surely he could just claim, I'm getting a dress for you. But then the girl walks out, which is all sorts of fun. Times. Um, and she gets quite upset with this. But you're telling me that she cheated on him first. As far as I can remember, I don't think Nucky slept with anyone else before Margaret slept with Oliver in season two. Yeah. Now, I don't actually think this gives Nucky the high ground, though. Because I don't think Yeah, because he, he didn't know. So, but I feel like we've got a situation where two... Both parties have independently chosen to cheat. Hmm. This, to me, is either a, okay, we both did the wrong thing, we're both sorry, let's work this out, or we both did the wrong thing, we're sorry, let's split up. I think Margaret just doesn't want to be with Nucky as much anymore. I think, Mm -hmm. like, Nucky wants to repair it. You saw the scene at the end where he goes to find her, even after she's run away. She just doesn't want to have anything to do with it. I I thought Nucky had an apology scene to Margaret, which was really... uh, a really bad job of apologising. Well, the one at the very end was a bad apology because he was saying, I forgive you. It was very pretty yeah, yeah, bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Like, she's looking at him thinking this is this evil man that she wants to get away from and rather than saying, look, I'll promise I'll change and make it all better, he's like, I forgive you. Yes. For what you've done. Any transgressions, yeah. I'm willing to forget about it. 
Ignoring that he had had a completely, like, <laughs> long-term affair with another girl. Like, this is clearly... If there has been mutual wrong, here's a tip to, to cheating husbands out there, which I'm sure very few of our listeners are cheating husbands, but do not go to your wife and act like she's done the wrong thing completely and just go, look, I forgive you, we can move past this. Just ignoring your own transgression. Yeah, I think this is... Awful. Apology 101. Apologize. <laughs> so then he just tries giving her a wad of money. This is also a bad apology move. And he's like, no one will know. I'm the only one who will know. Don't worry about it. You're not being judged. I quite like that scene because it was basically Naki saying, Margaret, just admit you're a bad person. Oh. Just go, well, not quite bad person. Which is like, look, I do this for a living... You know I do it for a living, but we can be together. Just admit that you like having money and you don't mind the fact that I'm a bootlegger and I killed your husband. Which I think Margaret should. I think Margaret has indirectly done enough to Mm. be sort of a part of this. But that's not the narrative she wants to believe about herself. He needs to appeal to the narrative that she wants to believe about herself. No, he needs to appeal to reality. If he's a gangster... He can't just be like, look, I'm really an okay guy. I'm not really a gangster. Come be happy with me and feel good that you're, like, a good person. Because she's not. He needs to just make her accept reality. And then she needs to be like, okay, I do actually like being with you. I need to stop pretending that I'm the best person in the world. Did you? Were you disappointed we didn't see more of the hospital this season? No. Um, What's um, my stupid question? (laughs) So basically, I find Margaret somewhat annoying. I like it when she stood up for herself in season one or two, and she kind of came into this, like, seemed to just accept Nucky for what she was. he was. But then, I don't know, she seemed very flip-floppy. I don't think she had the moral high ground. So I, I start to get a bit irritated by her. Then there's all this stuff with Oswald, not interesting. The only thing I liked about Margaret this season was the fact that because she was planning on running away with Oliver and mm. got pregnant to Oliver, it put a lot more weight on his death. And he was someone that I did not expect to die. And when he turned up at Nucky's place in a box, I was like, whoa. I called it. I called it about 30 seconds before we saw him. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you didn't, want, you didn't want the show to be more about Margaret teaching women contraception and pregnancy tips. That was just very frustrating. Yeah. Like, what is wrong with the that nurse and the church's support of this program? Like, they're not allowed to say the word pregnant? Like, pregnant's an offensive word? I don't know. Maybe they're trying not. to teach these people beneficial medical knowledge about their own bodies and the process of having a baby, and they're like, this is against whatever, because you said the word vagina, and that's offensive. And then they shut down the program. Outrageous. Yeah. Like, okay, we obviously get the contraception, why that's a bit of a hot-button issue, because it's it's a Catholic hospital, and obviously, especially in the 1920s, that was... I understand that, but yeah, it was like pregnant and vagina, you would think would be fairly acceptable. Like, Catholics have nothing against pregnancy, uh, clearly. So, yeah. I, I don't know why we needed... Margaret teaching women about pregnancy. Was that just to foreshadow that she would be pregnant later in the season? I think so. I don't think we needed that foreshadowed. I think that could have been. I didn't mind. I think they just spent too much time on it. So moving on from Margaret, we have Agent Van Alden, who's now going by the name George Mueller. 
Yeah. Him and his Norwegian nanny uh, taking care of his baby. They're sort of uh, on the run, I guess. So we've got this hiding. Yeah, we've got the guy who spent the whole first season, or sorry, the first half of the first season, very morally, biblically upright, the crusader against the sins of the world, now on the run from the law. Uh, He's murdered someone. He's uh, been involved in financial negligence and stuff. He's knocked up a woman. He's now sleeping with the nanny. Who's <laughs> now, I don't know if they're married or not yet, but no. So yeah, we see, we've seen a very good, interesting journey that Van Orlen's been on. And his story kind of became really separate from everything else. But then I like the fact that he bumped into that O'Banion hmm. and then needed him to get rid of the body. That is his nanny. Uh, killed mm. for uh, no not really any reason, <laughs> and then he turns up the meeting with Johnny Torrio and Al Capone, and I liked how those things came back together. Yeah, and he started even like selling vodka or some sort of whiskey or something mm. at the end of the season. Which you know, is, would you have imagined episode one of Boardwalk Empire that that guy would be selling alcohol? No, but it was quite satisfying. Like, yeah. that guy who was just so obnoxious at the iron sales place when Ben Alden sticks the iron yeah. on his face, he deserved that so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why people were so mean to Ben Alden in his iron sales. It's just like iron salesman is the pinnacle of douche. Yeah, yeah. Imagine, like, if you meet an iron salesman in real life... Do not become friends. Do not go on a date with them because they are the worst people. Oh, that would have so cruel. Like, hey, George, George, why are you so late? And he's like, oh, I'm just cleaning. Like, I just have a problem with my strap, but he's really like cleaning up all the ink that like blew up in his face when he went to answer the phone or something. I don't know. It's like the, the kids from Home Alone are like <laughs> working at this iron so just pulling pranks on, on Van Alden. Um, but I will say... Van Alden is, I think, competing a bit with Jacob from Twilight as most awkward person I've seen on screen this year. <laughs> this, this guy is a very awkward person with his facial expressions and his mannerisms. And It was so stuff. good when, uh, when the nanny asked him to smile and he just goes... It was the most forced smile I've ever seen. Yeah. I, I would love there to be a story out next season where Van Alden makes a friend... I like his wife. She's nice to him and seems to care a lot for him. Well, someone else that gets a girlfriend is Richard Harrow. Oh, yes. He is working for Jimmy's mum, Gillian, who owns a brothel. And while he's there, I guess, just sort of doing general security things, he's also spending a lot of time with Tommy, Jimmy's son, who he seems to like a lot. But uh, he's spending some time outside of that at a veteran sort of hmm. meeting place. And there he meets this drunk old guy. And uh, through him, he meets this nice young lady that he starts yeah. spending some time with. And she seems very kind and accepting of uh, Richard, except when uh, he's making threats uh, to <laughs> her father. <laughs> I thought that was a, a great scene. The dad's holding Tommy and he won't let go. And Richard says, let go of him. And he's like, oh, what are you going to do? he just looks at him and goes, I'll kill you. I love it. Like, he then takes the girl on a date to the carnival. <laughs> and then she's like, hey, um, 
I, I like you, but can you not like threaten to kill my dad? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really like when he did that. <laughs> you could try not to do that in the future. That'd be great. <laughs> so I really liked Richard. I was wondering what was going to happen with the girl and also his job, like looking after Tommy, how'd that come together? And I guess at the end, Rossetti takes over the brothel and he wants to get Tommy out of that yeah. environment. And that was just the most badass scene in that finale when yeah. Richard just rocks up at the place, just like armed to the teeth, and takes out like 12 dudes on his own. Yeah. Yeah, as, as if Richard Harris isn't the best character on TV. I don't think there's any... As, as if you would want to watch anyone more on your television than Richard Harris. Well, are you amending your MVP pick? Because, like, you said Nucky was a better character and now you're saying... There's no one you'd rather watch on well, TV look, than I Richard like, Harris. I like Richard more. It's just that when you do those list things, it's kind of hard to pick a supporting character. It's, it's easier didn't to argue me. someone didn't that's stop got... me. Didn't stop me with a TV character, right? This is not a good environment for a kid to be growing up in. Nope. Uh, a brothel. This, and I think we see this highlighted particularly when... He gets onto the level with the ladies. So he opens the door and just sees this whore and this man, like, completely going at it. Like, they are completely in the middle of sex. And <laughs> Not partially in the middle of sex. Completely in the middle yes. of sex. And the kid obviously is a bit shocked, and the the, the girl, uh, I loved her facial reaction when she sees he's walked in. She's she's appalled. Is this a good office prank for the prostitutes to send <laughs> their boss's grandkid in to see sex? That was not a very kind move or a clever move yeah. on the part of that lady. Yes. Um, especially when we saw what the uh, the boss at this brothel is capable of. She killed a guy. Yeah. She killed an innocent guy. <laughs> because she needed Jimmy's death certificate to actually claim ownership to the house. So uh, she has a little affair with someone that looks like her son. It doesn't seem like this is all a con to get the death certificate, though, right? Like, it seems like... I think part of it was trying to, in some way get her son back. So those things come together with Richard Harrow going on this rampage, rescuing Tommy from the brothel Mm. and bringing Tommy to his girlfriend's house, but he's covered in blood. So she's kind of seen that other side of the fact that he can kill people now. It was this good scene because you wanted him to rescue Tommy, but but now you don't know what's going to happen with the girl. So I guess the final part of the season starts when Jip tries to kill Nucky Thompson and Arnold Rothstein with the bomb at the Ritz Hotel. Okay, who plants that bomb again? What's well, we don't see the bomb get planted, but Gillian tells Jip Rossetti where Nucky's going to be at a certain time. Uh. They're not actually in the hotel. They're actually just walk out there outside it, and the bomb goes... <laughs> And unfortunately... So that was a bomb. Yes. Because, like, Nucky, the whole next episode is going, it was a gas leak. It was just a gas leak. <laughs> well, yes, that, because they're talking about what to tell the press, whatever, because oh, obviously okay. they don't want to 
have tourists scared away by there being... Well, I guess that would scare tourists away anyway. But what if, they don't want people to know that there was this uh, murder attempt. Yeah, there's a giant, giant explosion. I don't care whether it's um, gas leak or murder. I, I just don't want to be a place where they've got big explosions. So, unfortunately, his actress girlfriend, Billy, Lillian Kent, dies in the explosion. Which he didn't realise for a day because he had a concussion. Yeah, there's an episode where just he just seems senile. Like he keeps on getting confused, forgetting people's names, just can't hear things. We got the kid a pony, right? We got the kid a pony. <laughs> it's like, no, we didn't get the pony. It's like, oh, yeah, I said the pony was a bad idea. You shouldn't have got the pony. No, we didn't. You said, like, that's what... It was a ghastly. It was a ghastly. <laughs> so Jip has tried to kill Nucky... But Nucky just can't try and kill Jip back because he's got the backing of Joe Masserea. Oh, man. Boss Joe, who apparently has an army behind him. Yeah. So Nucky gathers everyone up to try and rally the troops. And I guess this kind of reminded me of that episode that you're such a fan of in Parks and Recreation (laughs) where Amy Poehler has to give this talk. Uh, but the whole episode, she's been suffering from the flu and is really <laughs> yes. sick and she's delirious yes. and she has to pull it together at the end to give this good speech, which she does. So this whole episode, Nucky's just been delirious and out of his mind, but he has to stay calm and make sure that he looks strong in front of everyone and gets all the bosses in to try and bring them together to fight against Chip and Joe Massarea. But Arnold Rothstein said, I told you... This is bad news. You got yourself into this, and everyone follows Arnold and just walks out. Yeah, that bow tie guy—he's he, got a lot of pull. <laughs> so you're thinking, Nucky is going to go into this war against these guys, and he's got no one to back him, and he's lost one of his best man men in Oliver. Yeah, how is he going to do this? That's what we like in a show. Yeah, like the underdog. He's the underdog. He's on his own. He's got to somehow figure something out. And then I guess Oliver rocks up in the crate, dead. And that's the sort of... And then the second last episode opens with Nucky going, that means they're coming. They're coming. We've got to get ready. <laughs> so him and Eddie flees the house. Eddie gets quite a, a good role in this episode. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> German Eddie, who apparently has a family. Uh, Nucky didn't even know. Yeah. And he goes to Chalky White. Who I think was perhaps a bit underutilised this season. Got to say, that is an amazing scene where they escape the house. Nucky gets the gun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He kills people. He shoots them through the door. He takes out, like, what? How many men does Nucky take out? Uh, Three, four. I was really getting into that scene. (laughs) I was like, this is so good. This is, like, (laughs) built to something so amazing, this show. Uh, so they get to Chalky. The only per- he can't get onto his brother. He can't go to anyone. They get to Chalky, who's sort of the last person that can help him, really. Yeah, and just before that, Nucky had refused to help him opening up this club that he wanted to. Mm. So now he's. I'm thinking, oh, we might regret this. Chalky might not help yeah. him out when he needs it. But I guess they've been uh, had a good enough relationship for long enough that he doesn't sell him out when Chip Rossetti. Shows up. $25,000 for Nucky Thompson. (laughs) And they try and get Nucky out. And there's the scene in the back of the car where they get pulled over. And they shoot that guy and Nucky comes out. And he's like, I ain't leaving this town. This is my town. Yeah. 
So they go to where Eli's son works, I think. And uh, all these cars rock up and you're like, oh, what's this, this could be the end for Naki. Who's in these cars? But he'd sent his brother to Chicago earlier trying to get Torio because he was the last person that couldn't make the meeting which Arnold walked away from. Mm. And who comes out? Al Capone. I mean, what's Al Capone going to do? How is he going to become a big part of this show? He's like, yes, he's the one that's going to come through to help Naki. And he gives such a good line. He walks up. All right, let's go sit down and talk about who dies. Yeah. I was like, yes, what about us? So Al Capone, Naki Thompson, Chalky, all in the mix. I guess Richard Harrow is also somewhat in the mix. You know he's on Naki's side. You know he's probably going to do something, which he does, where he takes out all those men in the thing. But he's a bit of a rogue agent. Like, he's not strategizing with the rest of the guys. And that's pretty much them against the world, isn't it? So it's them against Chip Rossetti and Joe Masserea. And Joe Masserea has this army behind him, so they're the one that needs to deal with. Mm. So you're thinking, there's this, there's this bloodbath, there's all this fighting, the start of the last episode, is just murder after murder after murder. And how they actually deal with Joe is quite surprising. It comes from Mickey Doyle, the guy with the ridiculous voice that's kind of always bumbling things, is at the distillery, which they got from that guy who's high up, in the government, I'm forgetting his name, the weird long face looking guy. And he tells Snucky that this is a huge place, there's so much potential here, perhaps we could bait Arnold with it. Yeah. Uh, what Nucky does is offer that to Arnold in order for him to get Joe to pull his backing away from Chip Rossetti. Mm. So how he does that is through the is through the heroin deal he makes mm. with Joe, taking the heroin off uh, Lucky Luciano and Mayo. Yeah. But Nucky has a follow-up to this. Not only has he gotten Joe Massaray's guys to back away, they ambush them as yeah. those guys are leaving the town. Yes. So all of those <laughs> yeah, guys that was so good. just get gunned to death. Just like 40 people just get murdered. Yes. But he's also got a plan to do to get back Arnold because the person whose distillery it is, they've organised to sell out Arnold. He becomes the person that's going to take the fall for this whole bootlegging operation. Yeah. So Richard's taken out all of Chip's men. Chip and a couple of guys flee. It basically ends up with, how are we going to kill Chip? At the end of the episode, Chip has to die. How is that going to happen? Or how is he going to get away? And what's he going to be able to start up in the future? Yeah. I sort of wanted that to be at the hands of Nucky. Yeah. Or at least the character that I cared about in the show. Other than just one of the guys that worked for him. Yeah, someone just flipped on Jip at the end, really. I think it sort of worked because Jip killed that guy's cousin when he asked him not to, mm. which was a crazy scene, him just beating a head in the sand. Yeah. That was insane. Yeah. So it made sense. You know, you leave this guy alive, you tell him to take that back Rossetti to Joe and say, look, you know, we leave it at this or else I'll kill you too. Like, it made sense. Yeah. But because of all the stuff that Jip did, I sort of wanted someone that I was rooting for to kill him to get that sort of revenge. Yeah, here's a question. Who do you think does a better Nucky Thompson impression? Jip Rossetti or me? Because <laughs> <laughs> Jip Rossetti, in his last scene, attempts a Nucky Thompson impression. I'm now going to do a Jip Rossetti, an impression of Jip Rossetti's Nucky Thompson impression. <laughs> but uh, I've got the googly eyes. <laughs> I'm the googly eyes man. Like, that's pretty much it. 
Yeah, I thought that was a really good way for Jim yeah. to go out. Just him just taking the piss. Everything was just, like, gone to hell. But... Literally taking the piss. Yeah. <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs> and so I guess Nucky wins. Nucky won at the end of Season 3. Yeah. He took out all his competitors. He has sort of taken back his place as running the city and owning the boardwalk. And I, I think the last two episodes were great. I was so gripped by those last two episodes. So I was really satisfied with the ending, and I think it sets up some good stuff for Season 4. Now that Al Capone has moved to Atlantic City, what will his role be? I like that Van Alden was kind of becoming involved with the gangsters. Mm. I think I like the fact that Margaret and Nucky are separated. Mm. Though I guess that will mean Margaret scenes will be on her own, and I'll be wondering <laughs> what they have to do with anything. anything. <laughs> yes. Uh, Richard Harrow, we'll be interested to see what happens there. Uh, more Richard Harrow. We can only hope for more Richard Harrow. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential with the characters like Stephen Root and the things going on with the government and yeah. the Attorney General. The Attorney and... General's great. <laughs> I, I love that actor. He's very charismatic and a great presence. So I think season three wrapped up a lot of the storylines in a satisfying way, but there's still potential and still things for them to explore in season four. And there will be a season four. I think they've uh, got the, yeah. the go-ahead for that. Mm. So I think that's a wrap on I'm, I might, I might, after having talked about it, can I up my verdict for uh, Bulldog Empire season three? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. I might give it an eight. Yes. I'll give it an eight, an eight out of ten. There you three. go. That was a very good side. Like, think about all those final episodes and everything that unraveled. Yeah, I'll give it an eight out of ten. So there you go. We had some stuff for housekeeping. I think maybe it's best to save that for maybe next week's housekeeping segment. And the schedule's super packed. We've got lots of exciting stuff coming up in the next few weeks. Yeah. It's going to be a Christmas bonus of Screen Verdict. A Christmas bonanza. And just like on Christmas Day, we might leave it to be a bit of a surprise for the moment. Plenty of exciting podcast topics, which you'll see coming soon. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) So I hope you enjoyed The Boardwalk. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes. And we'll see you on the next Screen Verdict podcast.